Hello and welcome to episode 11 of series 3 of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. This is the show for employee engagers and internal communicators who like to keep up to date with all that is new in our profession. My name's Craig Smith from The Big Picture People. First of all, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who's contacted us to ask if they may be able to be an interviewee on the show. It's always great when we get people coming forward asking if they can share their expertise and their knowledge. We do take we do take them seriously and we do consider them. And uh, I guess our key principles are that we make sure that our guests are informative, sharing something that we feel will be of use to our listeners and uh, not overly self-promotional. So if you are interested in being a guest, on the show, please do get in touch with us at info at thebigpitchpeople.co.uk and we will get in touch with you. We will get back to you and give you an answer um, and also maybe arrange a, a call prior to interviewing you so we can find out a little bit more what you're going to be talking about and to uh, schedule the conversation that we will have with you if if we, we decide to work with you. So, uh, yeah, please get in touch. Info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk if you've got something that you would like to share with our audience. Um, so just coming up in the next episode on the 21st of the month, on 21st of June, it's actually our anniversary episode. So it's, it'll be two years since we launched the podcast back in June 2020 in the midst of the uh, the pandemic. Um, so two years on, we're still going strong and got lots of great interviews lined up for you in the near future to, to be listening to. Our guest on the next show will be Faye Greeson from Changing Lives, which is a charity. And Faye is going to be telling us all about how they've used IC to clarify roles and responsibilities within their organization, which, as I say, is a charity, which is a fascinating story, a great organization doing some really amazing things. Then the month, uh, the, the episode after that, and in, in uh, the beginning of July, on the fifth of July, the uh, episode that follows that is a fantastic interview I had with a, with a gentleman called Adam Collins. Uh, Adam has his own podcast and is a passionate board gamer, and he was telling me all about how he is using board games, commercial board games in his organization to connect people together and help them feel more engaged. We 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 make bespoke board games for organizations. That's part of the, the services that we provide. If they're looking to communicate something, we, we can help them create a board game for themselves, for their organization that will help them to do that. But Adam is doing some amazing work uh, just with normal commercial board games. So, so the things you can buy in your local store or your local shop, and he's using that to, to connect people together and help people feel more uh, more of a sense of belonging and more more understanding and mutual respect between team members so really great conversation that's going out on the 5th of july um between now and the next few episodes got a couple of our events coming up we've got a free a couple of free webinars coming up one on the 16th of june which is all about helping your organ uh not sorry that's the second that's the, that's the second one i'll mention in a minute the, the first one which is on the 16th of june which is transforming health and safety communication and training so you may not work in health and safety yourself but you may have colleagues who do so we're running a free webinar which will help you understand how you can make that a lot more interesting a lot more exciting and a lot more engaging that's at 3 p.m uk time on the 16th of june and i'll i'll say way i'll tell you where you can book up for both of these webinars uh, in a moment uh, the second webinar which we're running the week later on the 23rd of june again at 3 p.m in the afternoon is about helping your employees understand your 
organization's big picture. So that's all about how we can help our employees to understand our vision, our values, our mission, our purpose, all of these things that are really important and our senior managers tend to have in their heads. But how do we get that into the heads and hearts of our employees as well? So that's another free webinar we're running on the 23rd of June. For both of those, if you head across to our website, thebigpicturepeople.co.uk and at the on the event on the events tab which or the on the menu if you go to events if you click on that you'll see both events listed they're in a slightly different format we're just in the process of changing over the way we list our events um but uh, it should be fairly clear how you book if you're interested in that they're both totally free uh easy easy to book up there and uh, to reserve your your space um then the week after that i think it's the week after that or week or two after that we are involved at the ioic's uh, festival so the institute of internal communications festival uh, I'm presenting with one of our clients about gamification of management communications. That's on the 5th of July. It's a two-day conference on the 5th and 6th of July in Nottingham in the UK. Uh, if you're interested in that, head across to the IOIC's website, uh, the Institute of Internal Communications, and you'll see the festival listed on there, 5th and 6th of July. going to be an amazing event. Lots of great speakers, great presentations, lots of interactive sessions as well. Great opportunity to network, learn from your peers, your colleagues, and finally get together face-to-face -to -face with, uh, with, with each other, which is, I think, is long overdue. So that's all we've got for this episode other than today's interview, which I will let you listen to now. It's long been known that the use of emotion in communication is a very powerful device. It's not always been used to the best ends, and we have a history of people who've used emotion to manipulate people. But actually, what we need to recognize is that emotion in communications is a really, really powerful way of getting our messages across, and used appropriately can be highly effective. Now, what's happening when people are using emotion is that we're using something called neuroscience. I'm sure you've probably heard of neuroscience. It's the, it's the science of, of the brain and the activity within the brain. But how can internal communicators use neuroscience principles to make their communications more effective and to get through to more of their audience? And also, more, most importantly, for those messages to, to actually make a, a meaningful impact on people's behavior. So I wanted to explore this and I found today's guest through a shared contact in Southeast Asia. Um, and what we're going to be looking at in today's interview is this whole principle of organizational use of neuroscience and how we can use it, but also how we need to be mindful of it in the communications that we are putting out. We sometimes inadvertently give messages or we can create inadvertently create damage to people through the communications that we send out. And we can also sometimes alienate people by using language or uh, channels that aren't always the most appropriate for the communications that we are uh, using and that we are deploying. So that's what we're going to be looking at. And there's also a really interesting a uh, little conversation that we had at the end of the interview, which I think you'll also be interested in. And it is linked to the overall topic of neuroscience in communication, which is the fact that should we as internal communicators be worried about artificial intelligence and whether that can replace us? We may never have even thought that that would be a possibility. Yes, artificial intelligence can replace more menial, more 
more routine tasks, but could artificial intelligence replace the work that we do as internal communicators? And we asked that question at the end of the interview. So I think you'll find that quite an interesting conversation that we had, and it does link to the topic of neuroscience as well. So I hope you enjoy the interview in today's episode. Here we go. My interviewee today is Dr. Laura McHale. Laura is a leadership psychologist and executive coach specializing in the application of neuroscience to communication. Laura is a university lecturer, expert facilitator, and speaker. Through her firm, Conduit Consultants, Laura specializes in helping individuals and organizations increase performance, reduce stress, boost engagement, and make the work more meaningful and fulfilling experience. Laura has published her book, Neuroscience for Organizational Communication, a guide for communicators and leaders. And Laura is also a 15-year veteran of the financial service industry at organizations like Deutsche Bank and UBS, where she specialized in executive speech writing, strategic corporate communications, and change management. In 2015, PR Week recognized Laura as one of the top communications practitioners in Asia. Hello, Laura. How are you? Hello. It's wonderful to be here. I'm doing great. Thanks. Fantastic. And you are in Hong Kong. So you're on the other side of the world from uh, from where I am. Indeed. Um, fantastic. Please uh, so t- tell us a little bit more about how you've ended up working in in, uh, in Hong Kong and, what, and what, what you're doing out there at the moment, what your work involves at the moment. Sure. Um, no, always happy to talk about how I landed in Hong Kong. Um, I was actually, I've been here for about 12 years now, which has gone incredibly quickly. Um, I was transferred here for work. Um, at that time, I was working for Deutsche Bank um, doing internal communications. Um, I'd been based in New York for a number of years, and they basically asked if I was interested in heading up um, internal communications for the Asia Pacific region. And I jumped at the opportunity. And um, I have been in Hong Kong ever since. Fantastic. And um, obviously now your your work is, is through your own business. What, what, what are you doing now? Give, give us an idea of some of the clients you're working with and the type of work that you're doing at the moment, please, Laura. Engaged in a lot of um, a lot of areas. Um, I basically decided uh, I was, you know, had this long career in in corporate comms, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but I decided that I wanted to go a little bit deeper in terms of trying to understand human behavior and what it's all about. What happens when we when we get to work? How does human behavior change? Um, I felt like so much of the work that I was doing, particularly in in internal communications as well as executive communications, was trying to um, use communications to help people make better decisions, whether Mm -hmm. they're employees making decisions at work or whether clients are making better decisions in terms of um, how they engage with uh, service providers, et cetera. And um, I'd always wanted to, I'd always thought about going back to school for a doctorate, but um, Mm -hmm. I I really started thinking about it in earnest uh, several years back. I found a program in leadership psychology, which is a very much emerging multidisciplinary field. Mm. And um, it was funny. I, I still remember when I looked up the program online and saw, you know, read a description of it, I kind of felt my energy shift. Um, and I knew I was kind of onto something significant. Um, I graduated, um, I completed my doctorate in um, 2019, and I started my own firm. And basically, I do a little bit of a few different things. I um, do a bit of executive coaching, both one-on-one and leadership teams. 
Um, I also um, do leadership team development and um, I do um, psychometric assessments and a lot of debriefs around various um, assessments. I do a lot of workshops and seminars on topics, you know, ranging from uh, collaboration to creativity and innovation to diversity and inclusion. And last, but certainly not least, um, I do training in neuroscience for corporate communicators and leaders. Uh Fantastic. So very, very diverse. And actually that, that last point takes us on quite nicely to, to what we were going to be talking about today. So I met you via a shared contact and I was really interested in your work in neuroscience and, and how that might apply to, to organizational communications. It's something we've not covered before. So just, just for people who may, they probably, we probably have a working layman's or layperson's definition of neuroscience, but just, 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 just explain in, uh, in, in uh, your, your own words, what, what, what is neuroscience and particularly how, how neuroscience is relevant to internal communications, please, Laura. Okay. Um, so neuroscience is, you know, at its most basic level, it's really the biology of the brain. It's really just brain science. Um, when we approach neuroscience through more of a psychological lens, we're looking specifically at the physiology of behavior. So mm-hmm. trying to understand what um, events are taking place in the brain and body that account for and explain human behavior. Um, then uh, the neuroscience of communication is an interesting field. It is, um, you know, a lot has been, you know, a lot of neuroscientists over the years have studied, you know, human communication more generally and the specific parts of the brain that are involved in, for example, the production of language or, um, you know, uh, being able to understand um, grammar, etc. Um, but in terms of organizational communication, this is a very, very new field. And actually, my book, as far as I know, is really the first to Mm. apply neuroscience to the field of organizational communication. Um, Neuroscience, um, largely due to some great um, advances in um, imaging technology, such as functional MRIs, fMRIs, CEEGs, and and a variety of other um, means of measuring what's going on in the brain. Um, A lot of this this imaging has gotten a lot better in recent years, and it's also become a bit more affordable. It's it's still quite expensive, but it's it's gotten a lot more affordable. Mm. So neuroscience is now being applied to a lot of different aspects of organizational life more you know most notably probably has been the neuroscience of leadership or the neuro leadership field um, but increasingly in the last few years we're starting to see neuroscience being applied to organizational behavior change management and other similar areas uh, okay that's really and so so, so what, what uh, uh, that's really interesting and 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 um what are some of the practical ways then that that's being used? So, I mean, obviously we're, 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 uh, I, I understand, you know, MRI scans and I've seen the, I've seen TV programs where they've looked at, you know, having look, looking at what's going on in the brain, electrical activity, when people are exposed to various different things. And I guess, so how, how might that be then applicable in say something like leadership? And then obviously then thinking about that, how that applies to internal comms as well. When we look at neuroleadership, you know, it, it depends on what specifically, what aspects of leadership a researcher is looking at. But generally, they want to see if there is a measurable difference in the brains of leaders and, you know, especially in the, in the presence of certain leadership traits. Okay. Um, they really like to look at um, emotional regulation because that's a huge part of leadership and the ability to self-regulate and, and mm. um, demonstrate stress resilience and all of those things. 
Um, the ability to um, to engage in a certain amount of self-control. If you think about how leaders oftentimes need to kind of summon all of their diplomatic skills and mm. you know, during conflict, etc. So basically, we're just looking at, you know, the kind of the typical leadership behaviors in, in some instances, but we're actually seeing what's going on from a brain perspective, what mm. that's actually looking looking like um, in mm. the brain. Um, we're also, I think, really making advances in understanding the role of emotion in day-to-day functioning. A lot of times in, in the corporate world and business, we tend to think of people as being, you know, largely driven by sort of rational self-interest, mm-hmm. you know, that we're making rational decisions that, and that business is a, is a series of rational decisions. And indeed, you know, as a lot of, um, you know, as humans, we look at what makes our brains kind of unique, what separates us from the animals and we've got Mm. these magnificent frontal lobes and all these executive functions but neuroscience is really showing that the role of emotion is much bigger than we previously understood and that indeed the ability to make good decisions um and and be more effective at work is really tied to this principle of healthy emotional processing um, so that that's um, one of many areas of one, one of many ways that we um, mm. see this application to leadership more broadly yeah yeah and i think that's a really i think this is a really important point i think that i'd like to sort of expand with with you is, is this whole idea of of how do we um make our how do we use a pro- emotion because we've all known over history history has told us that people have manipulated people using emotion in, in for, for for not for always for positive ends but but mm-hmm. but, but i think that the, the power of influence of using emotion in, in our comms is really important and i think sometimes it's and i've seen i know with leaders and internal communicators they tend to be a little bit scared of it because it's it's kind of is it right to use emotion is it is it manipulative and and i think the difference between manipulation and influence is always a very very fine line it's 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 a, it's a kind of a a, a judgment uh, a, around um around morals isn't it so so let's just explore that a little bit then more then in terms of in terms of what what we can do then to to use emotion more effectively and more more ethically maybe in our communications to make them more sticky to make them more 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 effective you you bring up such an interesting point because this whole idea of the contagion of emotion the contagion of affect to use mm. more psychological language um, that you know, this has been studied by psycholo- psychologists for a really long time. We we all know that human behavior changes a lot when we get in groups, and it doesn't even have to be particularly large groups. I mean, human behavior can change a lot when we're just in dyads, you know, mm. with one one other person. Mm. But especially all of these interesting things that take place in teams. Um, the the study of teams from a um, from a psychology perspective really got going after the Second World War and actually in the UK with a um, a British psychologist or psychiatrist um, named Wilfred Bayon um, started working with um, with. Uh, soldiers who were returning from overseas, many of whom were afflicted with what was known at the time as shell shock that we recognize as PTSD. Um, There were far more um, soldiers than there were doctors available to treat them. So Bion started um, experimenting with uh, group therapy. Um, It wasn't actually so much of like having everybody in the group, um, in the therapeutic relationship. It was, he would do therapy with one soldier, but have a group of soldiers observing it. 
But he noticed right away while he was doing this that behavior started to change and sometimes change in really unpredictable ways. The room could take a really strange turn pretty suddenly. And that led to the birth of this this field of psychology um, that's largely known as systems theory, but it's what happens to us, how um, emotions do become contagious and how human behavior changes. Mm. The great thing about neuroscience is it's really giving a kind of biological explanation for what's happening. Um, we previously studied the phenomenon. We knew it was there, but actually seeing what it, what it, um, what can happen from a brain um, perspective is really, really illuminating and very interesting. Mm. Um, and you're quite right, Craig, that it's not all, you know, it's not all used for evil. You know, it doesn't have to be a, <laughs> um, you know, a Vladimir Putin esque appeal to mm. nationalism, for mm. example. Um, there actually are, you know, many, many examples of uh, leaders that we find in organizations and maybe in the world more broadly as incredibly um, inspirational that make us want to be part of a movement that make us want to be part of a, you know, group, a, a joined endeavor. Um, and so much so that there were, were, you know, we may be willing to make sacrifices in order to do that. Um, we all have that, you know, when we've had that feeling at work, it's a really wonderful thing when we feel like we're part of a team and that we're really contributing towards something that's really exciting and that's bigger than what we would be able to accomplish alone. So that that ability to kind of, you know, zero in on what's actually happening from a brain and body perspective is very important. I also, too, you know, something I talk about in the book, and you and I talked a little bit about in our in our initial conversations, is that you know work is just incredibly stressful, you know, and mm-hmm. it's gotten more so, and especially with, um, you know, obviously with a lot of the electronic mediums of communication that don't seem to be helping things, of having email and having you know access um, to people outside of the normal work hours and on weekends, etc. Um, the amount of information over overload um, that modern employees are having to um, reckon with is is really staggering. And as is just the the sheer amount of stress, when we um, understand from a neuroscience perspective what that amount of stress um, does from a brain perspective, but also from a body perspective, because stress is a full body reaction, it is entirely a physiological reaction, um, we start to understand that, you know, all is not well in modern organizations. People are definitely under too much pressure and stress, and Mm -hmm. It's being reflected in in the way that their bodies and their brains are showing up to work. Mm. And from a neuroscience perspective, then I mean, what what? And I agree with you. Totally agree with you that, that I, I know we talk about this. Uh, uh, we run some webinars and we talk about this quite a lot. This idea of it's like a bit of a perfect storm that more and more people now can publish and write things and 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 are, are you, you know able to to broadcast their their ideas uh, to to more and more people. But we're becoming more and more kind of desensitized and immune to this stuff. And it's 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 kind of and then you there's always the the guilt factor associated with all this stuff that I should be reading that I just haven't got time to do. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a it, so from a, from a neuroscience based perspective, what what are some of the things that you think organisations could start to do in order to mm-hmm. maximise the benefits uh, of of using neuroscience and also minimising some of the downsides in terms of the you know other things you were just talking about there in terms of overload and and maybe not using the most effective way of of communicating directly to people. It's a great question, and I think that there are a lot of things that can be done. Um, not all of them are necessarily easy or painless fixes. Mm-hmm. Um, 
One that I talk about quite a bit in the book is the current over-reliance that we have on electronic communication, especially email is really the biggest, biggest offender there. Um, you know, email behavior is very interesting. We've, we've been studying it for, you know, as long as emails have been around. Um, we've noticed, you know, in psychology that their emails often um, can inspire sort of disproportionate emotional reactions from people. Mm. Um, we've all had the experience of getting email that you know kind of gets on our nerves or gets us a little unhappy or upset emails can do that really easily and this is a a kind of known for phenomenon we've also got with um electronic communication more generally we have a little bit of um what is known as toxic online disinhibition so particularly when we are interacting with people without actually seeing their faces or making Mm. eye contact with them um it tends to lead to a lot of disinhibited behavior that may be much more aggressive than would normally appear in kind of you know day-to-day communication and interaction but even you know taking it down a notch or two this email problem is really remaining and um and there's you know people have sort of lost their netiquette too and a lot of organizations um people you know just you know even the the basic niceties such as please and thank you Mm. um emails you know the the degree to which you know emails should resemble more formal letters and did resemble more formal letters you know is to be debated somewhat but um but there definitely is this over-reliance on this information that is being delivered in a way that is decontextualized emotionally. Mm. So when you and I have a conversation and when we actually were you know fortunate enough to see each other in person, we're not just listening to the words, you know, that we're using. We're listening very carefully as highly engaged social creatures. We're listening very carefully to things like the stress and intonation in the language. Mm. If we could actually see each other, we would be looking at, at, you know, how each of us is showing up, where our gaze is directed. Are we using mm. our hands? Do we look angry? Do we look happy? Do we look bored? We are um, constantly, um, you know, scanning the people that we were interacting with, the people that we were communicating with, um, in order to understand how our communication is being received and how how the communication is going. When we deprive ourselves of that information, such as you know by over relying on email, we lose all of that. We lose mm. that ability to engage in in. The neuroscience actually has a name for it. It's called prosody, which is stress and intonation and language. Um, there actually is a neurological condition called aprosodia, which is the inability to interpret or convey prosody. Um, it usually is the result of a traumatic brain injury, and it's mm. pretty devastating neurological deficit to have. Mm. Um, if you think about somebody who's unable to hear the difference between um, sarcasm and sincerity mm. in language, that that is an example of aprosodia. Um, mm. But the problem with so much modern organizational communication is that we sort of induce an aprosodic-like syndrome mm. by relying on communication that is divorced from, from its emotional context. And mm. I actually, in the book, I, I refer to that as occupational aprosodia because it really does mimic 
the the an actual neurological condition uh, mm. by depriving mm. ourselves of that. Okay. The cure for this for this aphrosodia is prosody. It's actually re-imbuing um, emotion and emotional context and communications. And mm. I think um, a really great way of doing that that is now very much um, you know being used in a lot of organizations is through video. So mm. instead of sending emails, sending a short two-minute video from uh, a group's leaders, um, you know, rather than the all-staff email, that way you can see the person, you can hear their voice, you can see you know kind of how they're showing up, even if the video is just one way that you're just watching an image of that. It does bring a certain level of um, warmth and uh, humanity um, back into the, um, the communication and yeah. can actually go a long way toward calming the brain. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess that applies, that 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 phenomenon that you just explained there, this applies to any asynchronous text-based communication. So it's not just email, I guess, instant messenger, uh, Teams, you know, people using Teams now for collaborative workspaces and exchanging text messages, you know, not, not SMS messages, but but messages within that, that problem. I guess that applies to any of those different media or, or is, it, is it more specifically to email? Definitely. You know, the emails at work, I think, are a little different than text messages. They don't have to be. Text messages can be even more abrupt and, and yeah. curt. We've, we've yeah. all had that. But text messages tend to be quite rich in emojis. And mm. you know, emojis are now getting studied in the literature. And actually, yeah. the, the feedback on emojis has, has been really great because yeah. it, it actually really does help set emotional context. Mm. Um, emojis, you know, the degree to which emojis may make may or may not be appropriate for a work environment i still i think are still yet to be decided it probably depends on the work environment and its degree of formality but um but those are ways that even for an electronic medium that a little bit more um, emotional context can be conveyed and that that ultimately is very useful Mm. And what about audio? Because I, I'm, 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 I mean, obviously, we're recording this as an audio podcast, and and I'm a, I, I think audio is a is an underutilized medium. I know it it doesn't have the the body language and the nonverbal communication uh, aspect to it, but I think it can convey a lot of sincerity and richness and emotion. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Definitely, um, mm. you know, being able to hear the tone of voice again, the, you know, the kind of classic definition of prosody is really with the stress and intonation of language. Language. So that that is conveyed uh, magnificently through these audio formats, and um, the you know the only time that we really have trouble um, with audio is um, is really when the when the communication is fairly sparse, or mm. we're not sure what's going on with the person. You know, mm. if there's long periods of silence, yeah, you know, that's that's when we the anxiety <laughs> starts creeping up. You know, and we yeah. wish we could see the person. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we've all had the experience of being on the phone with people and realize yeah. the line was disconnected and we've been blathering on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely been there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and online as well. That is true. <laughs> but people is freeze true. and you're not, have you frozen or are you just really still? Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but no, but no, and, and I guess, you know, that just, just, you said it there, but I was thinking, well, hey, there's a really good reason sometimes when maybe just picking up the phone rather than sending someone an email is still a good idea. Um, and, and old school Definitely. maybe, but uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas it goes again, particularly when you're trying to convey something that has a an emotional aspect. We we run some programs around helping people, you know, with with classic kind of workplace difficult com- conversations type thing, and the, and the the importance of recognizing you've got a, a range of 
of different ways of having those conversations, not always just face to face. And obviously over the last two years, that's not been possible, but, but recognizing the advantages and disadvantages of all of those different ways that you can communicate with someone. Yes. An email can be good if you're going to back up a conversation that you've had with someone, or if you want to just sort of reiterate some points that you've made, but, but, but on its own is, is not sometimes the, uh, the most appropriate way to have those those really difficult conversations that often involve a lot of emotion and uh, neuroscience i guess yes uh, indeed indeed okay so another area that um we we talked about was this idea that um uh, and i've written it down here so i'll have to i'm gonna read my own words here Uh, the, the, the the somatic the somatic experience that we are preoccupied with in communicating to people's brains only. And that was something that you'd said that, that, that was something that we, uh, and, and is that similar to what we've been talking about in that we're talking to the kind of, you know, the more advanced homo sapien part of the brain rather than the more primitive parts of the brain. Is it, is that, is it, is that the trap that we're often falling into in the types of corporate communications or that the organizations are putting out there? I certainly think it could be. And, you know, one, one of the things that I, I sort of advocate for in the book is um, for corporate communicators to really be my, more mindful of the what the somatic experience of work actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes beyond, beyond, you know, we all know there's, you know, lots of this steady body of research about the importance of exposure to natural light, for example, or living plants in the office or plants with living offices and lots of green tend to be more productive than those that do not. Um, and, and having a visually appealing, aesthetically appealing uh, workplaces is, is certainly tied to enhanced creativity, etc. Um, but we tend to communicate to people and encourage people's best thinking by talking really about thinking as just a, a cognitive event. That's something that's solely taking place in the brain. Um, in um, in biology, there are principles around um, kinesthetics and proprioception and interoception and the ability to which we're actually aware of our bodies and how our bodies are showing up. Mm. Um, and we've had a little bit of a move toward um, getting having more of our bodies involved at work with the um, the raisable, you know, the adjustable workstations. So you can lift your desk mm. up and actually, mm. you know, type and work from a, a standing position if you so desire. Um, and those, you know, the, the science on those is really great. And it, there, it does, it can lead to um, significant enhancements in pain reduction, um, you know, burning calories being, um, you know, increasing mood, etc. Um, but we're, we need to go much further because we're not doing this enough. We're not thinking about this enough at work. Um, even just having a team meeting while getting everybody active, um, you know, actually being on your feet leads to better um, stress management and better conflict resolution than actually being seated. So if, um, if it's a tense moment with a team, actually taking it outside, um, going, you know, going for a quick walk with the team, et cetera, could actually be a really helpful. Um, you know, in the in the toolkit um, around uh, conflict reduction, it could actually be mm. something that's really helpful. Mm. Um, but we tend to communicate as if we're just communicating to people's um, brains, but they bring their bodies to work, and their bodies 
oftentimes have a lot of pain, a lot of low-level pain that we either push out or we, we don't really deal with directly. And, you know, we need to start recognizing that whole human beings are showing up to, to work and we can't kind of cut off parts of our bodies because it's not, it's not healthy for us. And it actually leads to more uh, stilted thinking. Mm. Um, when we're, when we're more integrated with our bodies, we're actually much more productive. Mm. So this is, um, this is something that's really important. Again, also recognizing stress um, and the role of stress. Now, stress in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. We all need some stress in order to perform better um, and also to keep us from lapsing into apathy. Um, mm. You know, it's so, sort of like exercising a muscle. Only by mm. stressing it do you actually become stronger. So we all need a certain degree of stress. The problem is the amounts of stress that people are under in modern organizations has just gotten gotten completely out of hand and mm. people really never have a, um, a chance to really calm down, um, especially with the constant, you know, the constantly wired and constantly connected to the office, even mm. when you're on vacation, etc. So um, recognizing that stress is a full body event. It is not just an event for the brain. It has a, it takes a toll on the body. Um, and um, this is really important for communicators to bear in mind as, mm. as, as these bodies are showing up that are in a very stressed state as well as the brains. Mm. And, I, I, and this may be linked, but I, I'm just one of the other things we talked about when we'd, we originally spoken was this idea that um, work is an emotional experience, as we've, we've established, and, and that we, we experience these things called emotional micro injuries. Um, and I think you talk about this in the book. Could, to tell us a little bit more what we mean by emotional micro injuries and what what do we need to be mindful of and how do we how do we help heal those micro injuries these are really well you know we we experience you know micro and macro level events and work all the time but work involves a lot of psychological injury in general um mm. you know even um phenomenon that may not even be that big in the grand scheme of our lives, you know, if we're reflecting on our long careers may not make much of an impact um, in retrospect, but at the time that they happen can be quite devastating. And, and these are very common phenomenon. They can include things like not getting a promotion that we mm. thought we deserved or how our relationship with our boss is going. Um, these things tend to, you know, having an intense conflict with a coworker. Um, these things can actually cause enormous amounts of stress and, um, and an, an enormous amount of pain. And um, when those pain areas in the brain are going off, um, we are not going to be able to operate at our, at our best. So there is a lot of psychological injury that um, comes from work. And, um, and that is one of the reasons that we need to, focus more on creating emotionally healthy workplaces mm. where the experiences around some of these adverse events are actually talked about. They're shared, they're socialized, um, that people are not experiencing uh, these feelings and sensations alone. Mm. Um, I think, you know, this is um, a case where tone at the top can be um, particularly important for, you know, leaders to talk not just about their successes and uh, how, the organization has done well in their own personal success stories, but also talk, talking about their own failures and the times that they've screwed up or times that they've um, dealt with um, some very difficult emotions. Mm. Um, by doing that, 
leaders can signal to the rest of the organization that it's safe and to have these kinds of conversations. And that, that sense of psychological safety ultimately leads to better performance outcomes because mm. people are more able to say when they think that something's wrong. Mm. Okay. Oh, that's really, really good. Um, we, we, there was one other area I was going to talk to you about, and I think I'll put cover this before we wrap up the the the, the, the you know the kind of final any advice and 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 sort of practical tips to uh, people who are listening. But there, were, there was we originally we were toying between two two potential themes for this conversation, and and we we I think we rightly we we stuck with the neuroscience. But there was one other thing we we talked about, which uh, may or may not be related to neuroscience. I'll let you make that uh, connection if it's there. Which was this idea that um ai the, the the artificial intelligence could potentially replace internal communicators communicators and it was just so it's just so obviously relevant to our audience that i, I didn't want to kind of like cover it and it probably wasn't in and of itself we could, could justify a, a separate interview so i do want to talk about this and then this is something that you you talked about and i'd not heard about before so i'm gonna i'm gonna hand over to you laura to talk about you know my question is will will artificial intelligence replace professional internal communicators question mark please discuss <laughs> that is that is the question um one of the reasons that i wrote my book okay i, I wrote the book for a few things were going on. One is I, there was a real gap in the literature that nobody was was looking at the application of neuroscience specifically to to corporate communication. But the second reason is that there is an enormous threat to the communications profession that most communication people, just like you said, Craig, are not aware of, and that is the threat that is posed by generative language models. Um, so generative language models are a, a branch of AI, of artificial intelligence, that looks specifically at the generation of content, generation of language, the generation of content. Basically, these are uh, giant systems that analyze large quantities of data and are able to kind of recreate it, but as new and original data. One of the most um, famous examples at the moment, because it is so powerful, is um, a generative language model known as GPT-3 that was mm -hmm. produced out of San Francisco by OpenAI. Um, there is also, I am told, um, especially here in Asia, there is a Mandarin um, version of GPT-3. It's not quite the same technology, but that is supposed to be even bigger. So that may be something that we want to keep our eyes on, but that's mm -hmm. Mandarin language, not English. Mm -hmm. Um, but GPT-3 has several variants, but it is an astonishing piece of technology. Um, it definitely has registered um, with a lot of journalists, not just journalists that um, cover AI, but journalists more generally, because GPT-3 is able to write news articles and news releases instantly and do a very, very good job of it of it. Mm, mm. So I think that GPT-3 is going to be something that a lot of communicators need to keep their eye on. Um, I don't see yet, it's still in the very early days of these generative language models, but um, I don't see yet that this is the kind of thing that, you know, it's going to come knocking at the door tomorrow and you need to hand in your resignation mm. slip because a, <laughs> a machine is taking over your job. Um, but certainly for low, lower level communications, especially communications that are more formulaic, 
um, there really is a chance that GPT-3 or, and its future, its future iterations might actually be able to do these far more effectively and um, cheaply than people can. So I think that there is a, um, a major threat on the horizon for the communications profession. Mm. How this ties into neuroscience, I, even though a lot of people kind of tie in uh, AI into neuroscience, because um, mm. largely looking at the human brain through an information processing capability sense, so sometimes you hear connections. But really, for the purposes of my book, there really is no, no direct a connection between AI and neuroscience, mm-hmm. as I describe in the book. But I do think that neuroscience pre- presents an opportunity for communicators to still mm-hmm. stay relevant, especially with all of these threats on the horizon. Um, and they stay relevant by doing things that um, machines cannot do for us. Mm-hmm. And that is having emotionally intuitive communications, um, being able to write from a gut feeling, um, being able to understand what the primary um, triggers are, um, you know, stress triggers, and also reward triggers in the brain, um, and, and developing a more kind of discerning skill set um, to in, in, in lead to greater and more impactful communications, I think is going to be a skill that is going to distinguish the people who succeed in this new environment versus people that may yeah. indeed have their, their jobs actually replaced. That's a really good connection. I like that. And, and I mean, that, that connects to a lot of things we talk about, you know, we've spoken to previous interviewees about around, you know, it's kind of decommoditizing what we do, isn't it? It's about really becoming trusted advisors. It's about me becoming expert consultants within our organizations who are so much more than just a pair of hands. And I think, and I think it's all, you know, AI obviously is more sophisticated than just something that I don't know, just, just automates your payroll system or things like that. But it, but it, but it, ultimately we ain't, we make ourselves invaluable by, by the things that he, that computers will never be able to do or will maybe not for a few hundred years anyway that's famous that's a bit very prophetic isn't it um but uh, but yeah but but the, but to be able to to to, to relate to some of those uh, you know the, the things you've been talking about today about emotion and, and 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 to really understand that and be be good at using emotion in in, in the work that you do Definitely. I, I really cannot agree more. And, mm. you know, I, I think though too, there's also, you know, it's not just neuroscience. I think that there are fields of behavioral inquiry that are really rich avenues for corporate communicators to explore yeah. in greater detail. Yeah. I, I didn't realize till I was deep in my, in my doctorate that I was really a behavioral scientist all along. Mm. You know, if, if you think about every time as a, as a communicator, especially an internal communicator, every time you like do an employee survey, you're actually doing like quantitative mm. and qualitative research, you know? Yeah. And, and there's, there's a whole field of knowledge that can be drawn on. And I think, one mistake that some communicators make is sometimes being a little too insular and really mm. looking only in the communications field when we need to have a much more expansive view of what, yeah. what the kind of information that's out there that we can draw from to make communications richer and in order to achieve that dream of becoming trusted advisors yeah. and, you know, to yeah. the leaders that we, that we work with. Yeah. Again, we, we, it's, it, it, I agree. I think it, it's like really looking at 
you know, the whole comp, not just from a competency model framework, but but looking at it from a basis of what do I need to know and be good at in order to be able to do my job well. And we've we've talked about similar things around change. You know, we we, we internal communicators need to really understand the psychology of change and organisational change because often that's what they're they're helping the organisation to do. That that that's that's you know that one of the probably un it's not in the job description that you're an organisational transformation consultant, but you are because that's a key part of any any transformation is communication isn't it and um and i think it, it's, it's really reframing what what my role is and and not just it's you know it's it's a little bit like personnel and human resources business partners you know the difference between the two is a very is, is not just the name it's a diff, very different frame of, of what that role involves and and the value to the organization and i think internal communicators even if their organization isn't asking them that question need to really kind of ask themselves that question about what do, what do i need to be good at in order to be able to do my job and it's not just doing the stuff that you know that that might be recommended to me on you know uh, the, the the latest list of internal comms courses that I can do and training that I can do. It might be something outside of that that I need to look more broadly at. Definitely, definitely. Well, look, that has been really, really interesting, and 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 I think for me, what I've taken from that, it's it re, it's it, it's almost validated stuff. I've I've always been a, a really passionate believer that that I don't know whether you're familiar with the work of John Cotter, but you know he's always he always says that rational and analytical thinking is 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 important part of change but actually people human beings only ever change their behavior when they they see and feel something and that emotional connection and and simon sinek talks about it and it's it's kind of adding the science the rigor to the science behind all of those things that i've i've kind of always believed in and and not known whether there's any justifiable reason for it or whether it's just my own preference so the um, neuroscience is bearing it out yes and i'm very familiar <laughs> with cotter as well as simon sinek i'm a huge fan yeah. and yeah it's it's the it's one of the one of the coolest parts of neuroscience or all of these things that we've long um believed about human behavior and observed in human behavior but finding a biological basis and actually seeing the changes in the brain that demonstrate that that's exactly what's happening from a yeah. brain perspective it's really it's really exciting and, and yeah. very validating yeah well that's fantastic so um Laura, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put some links into the show notes. I'm just going to read these out and you can confirm. We've got a link to your program, which is Neuro for Comms. Is that correct? That's, that's, that uh, is correct. Yeah, excellent. We'll put a link into that. I'm going to put a link into your LinkedIn profile, if that's okay, so people Perfect. can uh, reach out to you directly. I've got a link to your book, obviously, because that's uh, that's on. I've got the Amazon link there that I'll put in. And I've also got a link to your business and also to your email address, if that's okay. We'll put those that in the show sounds notes. sounds great. Fantastic. So if anybody wants to reach out to you and find out more about your work and have how uh, uh, all of the breadth of things that you talked about right at the beginning it might apply to their organization i'll let them get in touch with you directly um all that remains to me to say is thank you very much laura that's been a fantastic conversation i really enjoyed that and i've learned a lot myself and i will be probably getting a copy of your book and uh and we'll be perusing that and validating all these things that i've believed for all these years and putting some rigor and some scientific uh, some substance behind them terrific well that's fantastic <laughs> made my day thank you so much craig take care laura bye-bye thank, thank you, you. bye-bye we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Engaging Internal Comms podcast. If you've got any ideas for episodes you'd like us to cover in future, you can email us at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk or you can use the feedback form at engagingic.com. 
If you're not already subscribed to the show via your podcast platform, please do so. And if you could leave a review for us, that would be absolutely fantastic. We have links to other episodes at engagingic.com. All of our previous episodes are available there. And if you're interested in our visual communication services, our big pictures, our learning maps, our explainer videos, and also our live graphic recording, please get in touch with us again at info at thebigpicturepeople.co.uk. Thank you.